This week we approach the end of our sermon series in the book of Matthew. We have been since January in the book of Matthew, and now we're finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount demonstrates how difficult it is to live as a Christian, but today Jesus explains it's hard just to be a Christian. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, May 4th, 2014. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We have two weeks left in the book of Matthew. Not the entire book, but we've been there since January. And we're going to be talking about gates today. We're going to get back to that in a second. So we've got two weeks left. Next week, I've not decided if we're going to preach on Matthew and work that into Mother's Day or a totally separate message. Either way, John would know because he'd be prepared, but I'm not fully prepared for that. Um, either way, we are going to celebrate Mother's Day, so Mother's Day is next week, so if you have a mother, you should bring your mother. Um, if you are a mother, um, just bring yourself. That'll work out pretty well, and we're going to be celebrating and honoring mothers just as God did, and we're going to be talking in a message that I think uh, we'll talk about the expectations God has for mothers, not in a negative way, but this, this positive influence you have in your kids, and it will spill over to, to other parents. So we're talking about that next week. Today, though, uh, we're talking about difficulty, and, and what is that dependent on? So let me ask you, is it difficult to be a mother or easy? I don't want to spoil all my thunder for next week, so I'm going to change the subject. Um, is it difficult to be an employee at your work, or is it easy? Is it uh, difficult to be a student? So we got a lot of the kids in here today. Is it difficult to be a student at your school, or is it easy? Is it uh, difficult to eat well? Is it difficult to uh, get enough sleep? Is it difficult not to be stressed out? Is it difficult to save your money? It, this all depends on what? This is a relative question. It depends on expectations. If, if your expectation to eat well just means you don't get double sauce on your Big Mac, I mean, you're probably in good shape and you're feeling like I'm doing pretty good. Have another crispy Fiend, they're in the back. Right, so it just depends on your expectation. If your expectation, though, at work or at school is really high, this becomes pretty difficult. If exercise just means you, like, get up and walk, if you've seen in the back of cars, people say, like, uh, the Iron Man stuff, what is it, 70.3, so that's half Iron Man, and then have you seen the one that says zero, like 0, 0.0? Like, if that's your expectation of fitness and exercise, I'm guessing they're doing all right. They go to get the remote, they're like, oh, yeah, feel the burn. You know, like, so it's all expectation. And the same thing is true when you start talking about Christianity. So we have spent these last weeks talking about the expectation that God has for us as Christians. So we, if, and have you gotten through with the Sermon on the Mount and it felt like, I'm really nailing this thing? Or do you get the sense as, we, as God says, this is what I want from you. I want I, you to love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to actually love and pray for the person who makes your life miserable. It, it, so I, if this is what's happening to you and you're going, oh man, um, God says, I want you to honor me all the time. God says, I want you to be chaste, not just in your actions, but how you think. God says, uh, you should uh, not worry. Did you get done with this as you go through this and you start feeling like, I have really nailed this, and I feel like, you know, God, I think I'm pretty good right now. You can show up anytime, and I'm on the ready. Or has this kind of, the, the expectation has kind of weighed on you? Here's the, here's the deal. The more you know about God's expectations, the more you realize you have not fulfilled them. You might have thought, I, I, I used to think I was eating well. A Amy can attest to this. So I I'd go to Subway and I would get like double mayo and I would get the cold cut combo. 
which cannot be good for you. I, I think the cold cut combo is somewhere still in my body from all those when I was going. So that was my expectation. I thought I was doing the right thing, but then you look and you learn more about stuff and you go like, oh, that's what it means to eat well. That's what it means to exercise. Oh, all right. We bought a new microphone. We bought a new cord. I'm, I'm kind of running out of options. You just need a new pastor. If this is, that's what's left. The, um, I'm going to just put this up so it doesn't make sound effects in the future. I can't squeeze it any tighter, so we need someone strong to fix that. The, uh, that's my expectation, someone much stronger than I am, some iron kind of grip. So expectation depends on it. So now we're talking about Christianity. So we've discovered that it is difficult to live as a Christian, and what we're going to talk about is it's actually difficult to be a Christian. And what I mean by that, I just went to a conference so I can use the word unpack. So they use that like every single seminar you go to. Let me unpack that for you. Drill down deeper. That's the kind of words they use. So I'm at this conference, and I'm going to try and explain this. Some jobs are easier to have than they are to do. So if you meet a doctor, someone says, hi, I'm a doctor, I'm a pediatrician, in your mind, you've got respect for them, I'm guessing, right? And you think usually they get paid reasonably well, um, they, people like them, they help the kids. This is, this is, it's easy to be a doctor. No one is like honking and saying, I can't believe you're a doctor. But I think it's difficult to actually work as a doctor. As I understand it, the last thing I heard, they have 60 hours of education they have to get every single year. That's kind of a lot. Is that a, still a true statement? Uh, they have to work a lot of hours. Our pediatrician somehow is on call all the time. And I don't know, and he's got seven kids, so I don't know how he pulls this off. So, so they're working all the time. They're stressful because you think, did I do the right thing? You gotta pay attention the entire time. I got tired from driving a lumber truck. Think how tired you get thinking, did I put the right prescription down for this person? Are they gonna get sick? Or you get worried. So it's, it's easy to be a doctor, but I think it's hard to actually work as a doctor. Other jobs? I met a professional Frisbee golf player 20 years ago. That's how old I am. I'm an old man. So I met this guy. I'm guessing that the lifestyle, and it's as stereotypical as you can imagine, at Plum and Park, he pulls up with his VW van. I mean, just as you'd imagine it. And I think he's probably thinking about moving to uh, Colorado at this point. That would be my guess for obvious reasons. So he's thinking about moving here. All the stereotypes in full force. But he's a professional Frisbee golf player. Doctor meets Frisbee golf player. Both have the dream of changing the world. The doctor feels like, you know, I'm doing something. The guy says, what's your job? And he goes, well, I'm a Frisbee golf player. The doctor plays dumb. And the Frisbee golf guy goes, well, that means I take a plastic disc. Oh, I've got a variety of them, depending on the shot necessary. And then I throw them into a basket with chains. Sometimes it's harder to be someone than it is to actually do it. Where do you think, where does Christianity fit in that? Do you think it's harder to, to live like a Christian? Or do you think it's harder to actually be a Christian? Jesus, if you're thinking like, actually both are kind of hard. Jesus agrees with you. So we just went through the Sermon on the Mount, and then this is um, the, the person we follow. This is what Jesus has to say about it. He starts talking about a gate. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Is that encouraging? Like, when you think about your Christian life, you think, like, narrow and few. Whew, that's really encouraging. I mean, do you picture, wouldn't it be, don't you picture it more like this? Here's the entrance to Disneyland, Disneyland, there we go. 
I picture it like this. There's all kinds of people on it. We've got people that are black and white and Asian and Latino and Russian, and there's men and women. There's kids. We've got this big mass of people, right? And we're making our way toward the kingdom of God, and Jesus is moving alongside us, and everything is fantastic, and it's going. That's not how Jesus describes it. How many of you have been to, what's the name of that park? Not Elitch Gardens, the other one in Denver. Lake, Lakeside or Lakeview or... All right, so I, I typed in Lakeside, and I said entrance to Lakeside, because I figured this would be an extreme contrast, and this is l- the picture that comes up. Can you see that? I think this stars in half the Stooby-Doo cartoons, like where there's an evil monster that rides the roller coaster, but I don't know if this is the right park, but it said Lakeside Park. Does that look right? Does that look like the chipmunk in the background? Regardless, there's people grimacing, because you're going like, who would take their children there? That, uh, no one wants to do that. This, which would you rather do? When you think about your life as a Christian, ah. hmm. Actually, I've got, I've got the, uh, the mascot right there, the creepy clown for that. Right, no one pictures it like this. Is, this is not encouraging. Narrow and few is not encouraging whatsoever. And here's the deal. As a Christian, as I try to explain to the kids, as, as I say every time I try to, I try to explain to the kids, your head works against this, your heart works against it, and so does the herd. I, I try to get alliteration, that's what I was going for. So let's just talk about your head for a second. Every one of us here is born with a brain, correct? And a rebellious side, apparently, <laughs> right? So we're born with a brain. Your brain says that if something works in one situation, it should work in another situation. So we've got some kids here. What, how do you become a good student? You listen, and you work, and you work, and you work, and you work, right? That's not that. How do you become a good employer? You work, and you work, and you work, and you work. Not all the time, but you work, and you work, and you work, and you work, right? How do you become a good spouse? You got this idea that I got I to gotta commit to it. I got to do it. I got to do this. How do you be a good parent? You got to work, and you work, and you work. How do you become good at sports? You work, and you work, and you suffer, and you hurt, and you just think, that if you kids, here's the secret. If you want to succeed at something, you just have to be willing to hurt more than other people and work harder than other people and suffer more than other people. Endurance athlete stuff, I mean, sometimes the people are the same. The person who's willing to suffer more is going to do better. This is how it works in life. And Christianity, it would, it would make, <laughs> I can't even look at that picture. Christianity, it would make sense that if I work and work and work, Like, if you're on the fence of Christianity and you're here and you're going like, okay, this makes sense to me. I work and I work and I work. Then, God, I should have some kind of relationship with God. If I'm a reasonably decent person, I should have this uh, relationship with God. But what's the problem? The problem is, is not that you have not done good things. I would not disagree with you. If you're not a Christian and or if you are a Christian and you're saying, like, I've lived a pretty good life, I think you probably have. I think you are a decent person. I, there aren't too many, but it depends on the expectation. And if your expectation is says to live the Christian life just means I don't murder someone in the face and I don't make bombs in my basement, you got a pretty good shot at it. But that's not God's expectation. God says, this is what I want from you. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself perfectly. I want you to honor me perfectly. I want no other priorities in your life except me all the time. The more you understand God's expectations, the more you recognize, I have not fulfilled these. So it goes completely counterintuitive to your brain. And we'll just touch one more thing on that. 
Think of every single human religion you've ever imagined. Everyone that's made up by people. Uh, Islam, Hindu, uh, Jehovah Witness, Mormon, Buddhist. Every single one has this aspect that says, on this wide path, if I just do the right things, I'm going to have a relationship with God. And then somehow tucked in the corner is this skinny little path of people that have said, you know what, I've looked at God's expectation. I cannot do it. I need Jesus' help. Narrow is the path that leads to salvation, and wide is the path. Not only is your head convinced you of this, your heart. So Malcolm Blackwell, has anyone read, Gladwell, has anyone read the book Blink? Pretty good, uh, pretty good book, and I've re referenced it before. But basically it says this, your gut reaction is really pretty good. So like if you've got a gut reaction about someone or something, that's usually pretty accurate. That's kind of what, they did all this study, and they said yeah, it's actually pretty good. So your gut reaction makes some sense, but what's the problem? It's, we, we, we don't say gut reaction, but we also say our heart. Once in a while, you run into someone, they say, you know, my heart just felt like I should do this. That probably happens to you once in a while. You're driving in the car, and you say, like, my heart said I should call somebody up. You call them up, and you said, hey, I thought I'd just call you. I was thinking about you, and they're like, oh, you called at just the right time. Has that ever happened to anyone? Yeah, this is your heart. I'm not saying this is communication direct from God or something, but this name pops in your head. I had some people... Um, in Washington. They won't listen to this. So I was just driving along, and out of the blue, I said, you know, I should just stop by the house to see how they are. Their marriage was like blowing up. Affair was in the midst of it, and here I show up. They're like, how did you know? I didn't. <laughs> you know, and, but it was at just the right time. They are now happily married, and, and things are going well, but it was just the right time for intervention, and they couldn't believe it. So this is following your heart. Usually your heart actually functions pretty well. Like you meet someone, you're like, this person makes me uncomfortable. There's probably a reason why. Unless it's me, you should feel no, you should have none of those feelings whatsoever. But normally that's accurate. What's the problem with your heart, though? So let me tell you a story. Jesus meets with some Pharisees, and Pharisees are, we just throw that term around, uh, Pharisees are not pastors. They were people like, like you that said, you know what, we have to do the best we can, and we want to follow God's laws. In fact, we want to make sure that we don't follow, uh, break God's laws, so we're going to add some other laws around it. Besides all the law stuff, they're probably pretty good people, wouldn't you think? So the Pharisees generally are pretty good guys. People looked up to them. So the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they see, they witness this, that his disciples did not properly wash their hands before they took this meal. And they're, they're upset about this. So they say to Jesus, like, what's the deal uh, with, the, with your disciples? They're not following God's laws. That's kind of a paraphrase. So that's what they say, and Jesus says, the, the things that enter your mouth do not defile the body, the things that come out of your heart do. So then the disciples come, so this is the story, the disciples come to Jesus, and they're like, you know, you offended the Pharisees. And Jesus basically says, you know, I don't care. Um, let me quote Isaiah for you, and this is what he says from Isaiah. Uh, this is his words to the Pharisees, you hypocrites, that's always a good way to start a relationship. We were at, went to the gala last night. I should have started that with a lot of people. Uh, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right. So he's saying 750 years ago when he talked, he was actually talking about you guys. Let me just tell you what he thinks about you guys. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. They don't like that. The disciples are totally uncomfortable. But Jesus explains an important truth. The things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. 
So it's not just what you think and do, but Jesus is saying, actually, the things from your heart and your heart is corrupted. They come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Your heart is corrupted. And if you say, like, am I on the wide path? Am I, does this make sense? Of course it makes sense. Because your heart is corrupted and your heart says, I, I can do enough. God will be happy. This all makes sense. One more thing. The herd. Is it good or bad to follow what other people do? People are like, oh, this is, tr- this is a trick. This is a trick. It, it's, no, we don't follow what other people do. Do you walk forward or do you walk backwards? Most people, like collective wisdom is usually pretty good, right? I mean, most people walk forward. How many of you eat shakes through your nose? Like anybody, right? Like collectively, most people, you know, take a straw and they drink their shakes. This is collective wisdom. This makes sense. And don't worry. I mean, it's, it's the, not food that goes inside you that defiles us. Jesus just explained that. So you can't try and avoid it. And he's probably never had street tacos, though. So they, besides street tacos, most things do not defile you and ruin you. But what does? It's the things that come out of the heart. So collectively, most people get things right. You use your good hand to write. You talk with your mouth. You eat with your mouth. You do things. Sometimes, though, a group of people can be moving in the wrong direction, and they need like a paradigm shift. And some of these are pretty amazing. The Falls Very Flock. So all these people jump over the thing like this, and one guy says, you know what? I'm going to try as goofy looking as this is. I'm not going to do the scissors deal. I'm going to run, and I'm going to do something with my center of gravity and get over it. Uh, What about uh, you follow cycling? Nobody actually follows cycling. Okay. Um, yes, right. If you follow cycling, uh, if you follow cycling, when uh, Greg LeMond was in the Tour de France and they had a time trial, he's the first guy to wear that uh, dorky-looking helmet. So you imagine him like walking to the start line, like he's got it under his sack. You know, he doesn't want anyone to see, and then he like slips it on, like that thing that looks like a teardrop. He's the first one, and he killed it. Paradigm shift. Now, what does everyone wear? this goopy-looking helmet. We just talked about Robert Goodard last week. He's the guy when people said you cannot go to space, but he dreamed differently, and he dreamed something impossible. What is amazing about Jesus is not that he just added to the rules that were already there, not that he just added to this concept that, that you can work your way to God. What's amazing about Jesus is he shifted the whole paradigm, and he says you cannot do enough to have a relationship with God. The only way you can have a relationship with God is if you say, God, I cannot do enough. Narrow is that gate of people that say, I cannot do enough. I need a Savior to change my life. God has come to you. God has spoken his message to you, and it would be fantastic if this is what our life would have been like, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be great? If this is what Christianity was, like everybody moving along, going to the magic kingdom, and it's fantastic. Can you think of one good story that starts like this? Like, what, what, what good story starts like, yeah, then there's this lonely road that's narrow with lots of obstacles in it, and there's nobody on it. Is, can anyone think of, like, good stories like that? You got, this is how, like, if you're sitting around the campfire and someone starts talking about, like, then there's this deserted road, you're like, oh, I love this story. Is that how you go? And then, it, and, and then it's like the radio. Have you heard that one with the insane asylum, the guy who has escaped, and he's got a hook for a hand? Because they would allow that at the insane asylum. Um, but 
You know, the couple's like making out in the car. I shouldn't say that out loud with the kids in here. The couple, they're holding hands vigorously in the car. And then, right, they hear this scratch sound and they peel out of there and they get home and there's a hook hanging on the door handle. We don't even have door handles that can do that, but in the old cars that actually had one of those loopy handles, there's the hook. That's how creepy stories start. Is there any good stories that starts on this dark and lonely, skinny path with no one around? Yours. Yours. In your life where everything is lost and the whole crowd, against your mind that says, I should do enough, against your heart that says, this is okay, against the herd of people that is moving down this thick and wide and glorious path, your path goes the other direction because the Holy Spirit has snatched you out of that and said, this is what is true. You can't do it. You need a savior. You need someone. The guy who wrote this book, Matthew, he's a tax collector. He's an IRS agent, former IRS agent. How hard would that be? I talked about hard jobs to be. How many times do you think Matthew went to, like, meet his future spouse, and he's like, yes, I'm a tax collector. I'm thinking he's like a firefighter. You know, he's like, I help uh, place wounded dogs on the weekends. That's what I do. If anybody flies at parties, it's Matthew. So Matthew is this guy. He's a tax collector, and and he can't feel great about himself. And Jesus comes along and says, come follow me. He throws a party. And he invites his only friend. Now, it says it invites his friends. And you know who shows up? What kind of friends would a tax collector have? Just to give you an idea, the tax collector's job was to get, uh, I'm going to tax you. The government says, I need a total of, we've got maybe 80 people here. I need $80,000. What my pay is, whatever more I can get from you. I get 250000 that means I should have picked an easier number. I get 280000 that means I get $200,000 for my income, and I just give 80000 to them. The people hated them. They couldn't stand them. They're the guy that has to lie at a party, and here he sits, betraying his nation. No one will even make eye contact. No one can stand him. And Jesus says, come follow me. And so he invites. What kind of friends does he have? Tax collectors, it says in Scripture, and the Pharisees made an assessment as they show up at this party. And they look around, and they said, Jesus, why do you hang out with the tax collectors and the sinners? Here's why. No matter what you have done, no matter what your past, no matter what you're involved in now, Jesus does not wait for you. He ends that parable by saying, I didn't come to to save the righteous on this wide path. I came to save sinners. This is not a church of perfection. I don't know everything you've done. I don't know everything you're involved in. You don't know everything I've done, but God does. And you can say that all to the Lord. And God says, come through this narrow gate. The gate that doesn't make sense to your brain or your heart or anybody else walk this path with me, and in the end, I will welcome you in my kingdom through my open arms.